Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the statuesque Matt. Hello there. Ah, so, um, I, I, I try not to make a habit of referencing uh, current affairs too much on this show, but I, I couldn't help but have in the back of my head watching uh, this episode, Angels Take Manhattan, uh, last night, that it's been a weird week for statues, hasn't it? <laughs> Do you know what? I never made that link. I, I... Well, you know, last week I started by apologising for being miserable. Right, well, this week, David, put your tin hat on, because we're going to war. Right, okay. (laughs) Okay, and we're going to war with David Clementy. Do you know who that is? I do not. If I told you it was Sir David Clementy? No, this rings no bells with me. Right, well, he... Do you know what? I'm promoting Tim Riley. He's no longer enemy of the show. Sir David Cecil Clement, he is. Okay. So he's the... uh, He's basically Director General of the BBC. Chairman of the BBC. Oh, Chairman, not Director General. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he's not DG, but uh, I generally keep an eye on who who is. Either way, he can go fuck himself. I am incandescent with rage this week. Why is that? What's, Um, What's he done? Well, as I let you know... BBC iPlayer spoilt this episode for me. Oh, yes, yeah. Why, I, I understand it's... they want to put a little synopsis, but why, yeah. right next to the play button for this episode, would you put, this is the Doctor's heartbreaking farewell to Amy and Rory? It's unbelievable. When you showed me that, that screen grab, I was just like, what are they playing at? Yeah. Now, to, for, to be fair... When this episode initially aired, it wasn't a surprise to anyone because Doctor Who is such a high-profile show and the, the, the tabloid media in particular and uh, the online media know that they, they will get good numbers if they can break any story in relation to Doctor Who. Um, so it's very, very hard to keep things like departures under wraps, mm-hmm. you know, even going way back to the, to, to the, to the early days of the show if if um, you know there was no such thing as a surprise regeneration, people knew months in advance that it was happening, um, and so this was no exception. So um, the overwhelming majority of people watching this episode would have known in advance that this was Amy and Rory's last story. But as someone who has kept out of it, there's no reason why you should have to spoil that for the, the thing for is, newcomers. I, I, I don't know if you remember, but last episode. I said, when Brian says, oh, take care of them, I made a prediction something terrible was going to happen. Yes. This is episode five, so we're midway through the season. I thought the rest of the season was going to crescendo to something. Uh Absolutely. And and they they totally just kicked me in the balls with this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, to be fair, it it is basically a series finale because the way... The way Series Seven was structured and, and, and aired, uh, it was essentially two two shorter series. There was like a pretty much after this episode, which aired in uh, September, there wasn't an episode until Christmas. There was a Christmas special, and then there was a new like Series Seven B, as it is referred to, um, aired later uh, the following year. So. Th- this this is, to all intents and purposes is a series finale, but it does technically come in the middle of series seven. So yeah, I, um, I was in a bit of a fury about. Yeah, it. yeah, um, but I guess it. 
I mean, yeah, it must have just then been in the back of your head all the way through watching it, just like, oh, how do they, how is this going to... Well, but... should what I thought we could do yeah. is um, if you've got your phone with you... I do, yes. I, I thought we could, almost like a stage play, read our interaction. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let me just bring it up. Hang on. Okay. So maybe put some like wind chimes or something in, so, just so we're going back in time to yesterday. I I I have a perfectly appropriate noise for that. Right. So the first message from me. Just checking we're okay for tomorrow. Then I've posted the screen grab of iPlayer with, mm-hmm. and I've put iPlayer really loves spoiling episodes. Uh, to which I have responded, oh, fuck's sake, iPlayer. I tried at least. But yeah, we're on for tomorrow. And then this is where it gets interesting, I think, because mm-hmm. I then put, it's fine. I've got about 10 minutes left and nobody's died yet. I'm hoping it's a misguidance. Well, I'll say no more. And then I think this is where it really sums up the episode. Never mind, they're all dead now. Wait, they're alive again. And they're dead again. Ha. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, whilst I sort of knew what was coming, I'd sort of tried to convince myself mm-hmm. that it hadn't. Yeah, I mean, the episode, it, it lays a lot of things more or less out in the open. And, you know, all the talk about endings, standing around in a flipping graveyard, mm. um, etc. It, it, it has this air of finality about it um, right from the off. So you know there, there is some kind of ending happening here, but the, the exact nature of it, you know, that is totally... That could go one way or another, couldn't it? So... Um, what, but, oh, 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 no, go, go on then. What, what do you think of this episode? Did you like it? Now, I... The first time I watched this episode, I didn't know how to feel about it because I was just kind of sad Amy and Roy were leaving. I loved them as a, as a, as a duo and <laughs> I was really kind of high on this era of Doctor Who at the time. And it felt sad that they were ending so I was just it was more I, I could, almost couldn't focus on the episode itself it was just my feelings of sadness that this this chapter's coming to a close mm-hmm. on every subsequent rewatch I have liked it even less really See, I, I just don't get on with it I, I think this is more so than the last one I think this is a worthy sequel to Blink mm. however there's a few things that I would criticise. So, as always, I I mentioned last week, before I watch an episode, I put out on Twitter that I'm watching it, and Mm -hmm. our our main listener, Chris, usually gets in touch. Thanks thanks for for, for, uh, getting in touch with us every week, Chris. Don't get ahead of yourself, (laughs) because he didn't fucking bother this week. (laughs) Did he not? No, he's probably talking to Verity or Radio Free Scaro or some shite like that. (laughs) So... I, I actually podcast, contacted <laughs> former enemy of the show, Tim Riley. Yeah. And his main criticism is the handling of Rory in this episode. Right. Whereas I I think it's quite nice in that there's a lot of focus on Rory. 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I understand his initial criticism of how Rory falls into being that sort of focus of the episode. Because it, it just sort of happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I Okay, I, if I were to kind of summarise my big criticism, the re- reason why, if I'm trying to put my finger on why this episode rubs me up the wrong way so much, and, and unfortunately it really does, I think it's that it doesn't feel like a story to me. Mm. What it feels like is... 30 minutes of Moffat moving pieces around on a chessboard in order to get to a point where he can he can play out his end scenario that he's got in his head. Hmm. And from that point on, in terms of the ending for Amy and Rory, I don't dislike it. I think it's fitting. I, it's Emotionally, it's sound. But everything leading up to it doesn't really feel like a story. Yeah, it's just a lot it's... of stuff happening. There's loads of, like, little bits that... Like, for example, if we talk about the character of Gale, why is he yeah. in this episode? Don't know. <laughs> he literally there doesn't do anything. They're, they're in order to to kind of pull the characters that, that we actually give a shit about. And one of the things that I like about a proper Doctor Who story, for me, a proper, like, meat and potatoes Doctor Who story is Doctor and Companions turn up in a place, meet some interesting people, get involved in some kind of problem, run about a bit, Doctor fixes it, the end. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you've got, you're going to have to vary that, that formula a little bit sometimes, otherwise it's going to get very stale. But this episode is so uninterested in any other characters other than uh, Amy, Rory, the Doctor and River. Mm-hmm. It, 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 every the, the handful of other characters that we get are so thinly drawn and serve no function other than to move our our main characters where they need to be. Yeah, totally agree. And I don't know. It just it, it that really sticks out to me, and I just don't. I just don't enjoy watching it. You know, mm. it just I, I I watch Doctor Who to. Uh, it, it, it's joyous and escapist, but will also make me stop and think on a good day. You know, it will it will give me some give me some kind of nourishment to, to to chew on for a little bit afterwards when we're done. But that's ultimately what I look for in Doctor Who. This is just it's it's whole purpose is to wrap things up and make me feel sad, and yeah. I don't think I necessarily want or need that most of the time i don't know I, I, to be fair i'm in the minority here i mean the the critical reception from like professional critics at the time was overwhelmingly positive i would say my feet my from when i've looked at like discussions about this episode on on forums and reddit things like that generally speaking people quite like this episode mm-hmm. i'm an outlier here and I'll i'll hold my hand up to that but i just I find it really hard to take much pleasure in this story. But who knows, maybe, maybe you'll be able to convince me like, and we'll be in a bit of a role reversal because it's usually me trying to convince you that there's merit to, to a story. But um, yeah, so I, I say, why not? Let's just get on with it, shall we? Okay, so as we've said, this is episode five of season seven. Yeah. Have we even named the episode? It's The Angels Take Manhattan. 
I think I mentioned it, but anyway, you, you, you're listening to this. You know, listeners, don't you? Yeah. You know. Um, it's the 29th of September, 2012. Yep. Okay, written by Moffat. Naturally. Okay, so we open with what I've called a cheesy Rat Pack New York intro. And mm. this is where my interest waned immediately because... I don't know if you remember last week, I was like, it better not be a period piece. <laughs> and it specifically better not be that stupid Rat Pack era, but here we go. Yeah, it's 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 like, it's a sort of Raymond Chandler, film noir kind of pastiche dealio. The private investigator, who for a time you think maybe we can be interested in and will have some greater importance in the story, but... Yeah, more fool you, if you believe yeah. that. So, yeah, we're introduced to Garner, who's like your stereotypical gumshoe detective. Yeah. Who's investigating the statues that move in the dark. Yeah. And we, we already know what this is. Like, it's this is the, the angels are old news to everyone yeah. watching this story at this point. So we see a weeping angel as he enters an apartment block. Yeah. And once there, he enters a room. And on the sideboard, there's a wallet, which he opens, and it contains his driving licence. Yes. Because yeah. we see him take out his own wallet, and they mm. match. But the the one that he's found is, all, is old and weathered. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So, in the bed, in this room, he meets his older self. And we've seen that in Blink, haven't we? Yeah. So there was the guy that... Sparrow was going to go on a date with. Yes, and then then he's he's at back, and then we meet him again on his deathbed. Yeah. yeah. So the angels approach as he flees, and I'm just going to read the next two lines of my notes as written. Mm-hmm. Ha ha ha! Fuck off with that liberty shite. No fucking way. This is stupid. How <laughs> did nobody see that? <laughs> yes. Um... And. Just to go back to what we were discussing earlier, if we yeah. look at our messages, you'll notice there's a big jump where mm-hmm. I was starting watching this to when I messaged you next. Yeah. And at this point, I turned it off and went out. <laughs> you were just like, no, not dealing with this today. I, I, was, I was just like, you know, the whole thing is they move when no one's looking. Yeah. And then they make a big deal about New York being the city that never sleeps. So, so, are yeah. you genuinely telling me no one saw the Statue of Liberty move throughout New York? I'm not. It's ridiculous. It's absolute balderdash. And like the the moment it moves a tiny bit, people are gonna start looking at it. Even I could I could imagine a scenario which maybe for five seconds nobody's looking at the statue, but it would take it an incredibly long time to start moving at any considerable distance. Yeah, in five second increments, and what, and and, one, and as soon as it's gotten us to a certain point, people will just be like, "Hang on, it's a Statue of Liberty moving." <laughs> At which point, you know, authorities are going to be involved. You know, even if you didn't see it move, you might look at it five seconds later, realize it's not there, and you're going to look yeah. for it. Yeah, you it's know. it's just it's it's utterly ludicrous. Um, you know, it, can't, it, the, the, I, I really like Stephen Moffat as a writer overall, right? I think he's probably, he's certainly up there with the very best writers to have ever written for Doctor Who. Um, 
but restraint is not in his playbook. Mm. If he has an idea, it's going in. It just doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And this is a classic example of that. Like, if he'd just taken five more minutes to be like, oh, I mean, it would, on one hand, it would be lovely and delicious to have, oh, the Statue of Liberty's a weeping angel. But actually, it doesn't make a lick of sense, like, internally within the, the flimsy logic of Doctor Who. Plus, we can't like, make this work. I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on that. We know where the Statue of Liberty came from. <laughs> You know, yeah. it, it's not like it turned up one day and we were like, yeah. oh, Jesus, where's that come from? Oh, and it God, was secretly yeah. an angel all the time. Earlier that day, yeah. people will have been inside the Statue yeah. of Liberty. I mean, uh, that's some, this is basically another criticism I have of this episode is that I people moan a lot about how the the, the Series 5 two-parter breaks the, the, the logic of the Weeping Angels and it adds too much to the lore and stuff like that. This episode just ignores all pre-existing lore around the, the angels, basically. The, the amount of times there are scenes where no one is looking at an angel and it just stays still. Yeah, plus... They're All the famously known as the Weeping Angels. They don't even weep in this episode. Yeah, you They're barely right see that, that. Yeah, you barely see them having the the sort of iconic. I just feel like this episode handles the angels really badly compared to Blink and uh, Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone. Mm. So we then get the titles. Yes. So that's why I went out. I knew it was the titles. It was a clean break. I could just come back later. And I've just made a little note. Lovely to hear a little bit of Sting playing in the background. Englishman <laughs> in New York. Uh, yeah. So, the Doctor, Amy and Rory are hanging out in Central Park. I don't think they've gone back in time. They're just having a nice day out, aren't they? No, they do mention that it's 2012 at uh, one point. So, there's a big conversation about how the Doctor hates endings. He yeah, tears he's reading, the page out of a book, doesn't he? Yeah, he's reading this uh, sort of cheap paperback mystery novel called Melody Malone. See, as soon as they used the word melody, I knew where that was going. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. I don't know, was, when they were friends with Mel's, was her surname Malone? I don't... I can't remember, to be honest. No. don't know that it's ever said on screen. Yeah, so straight away we know there's a little hint there to River. Yeah. And it's it's just huge foreshadowing, isn't it? Yeah. So Rory goes off to get some coffee for the gang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is the bit where I'm most critical because the statues sort of haunt him and chase him. But why are they specifically targeting Rory? Or is he just in the wrong place at the wrong time? I think it's just wrong place, wrong time. I don't mm. think it's more complicated than that. But but I don't think the scene is particularly well directed. It doesn't have the sort of tension you'd hope for from a Weeping Angel scene. And I wonder whether it's just because it's... Is it just because it's daylight? Well, also... In a public in, place? In this scene, when Rory sort of... He goes under like an underpass or a bridge or yeah. something... And you hear them scuttling about, but you don't see them. No. And, like, one of the best bits of Blink is, you know, that sort of, well, for want of a better phrase, Blink and you miss it, 
where people are turning around and as they move, the angels have moved. Yeah, exactly. But we're just not getting that sense of them actually kind of closing in on him. It's, yeah. I don't, I, yeah. But anyway, Rory's gone. Bye-bye, Rory. Yeah. So back with the Doctor and Amy. The Doctor starts reading his book aloud and all of a sudden it changes and it's Rory who is talking to them. Mm -hmm. And he's in the past. He's been angeled for want of a yeah. better term yeah okay and he is it as soon as he arrives in the past he meets river Pr um i can't remember now i only watched it last night yeah i'm pretty um, certain he just arrives and she's like hello dad oh yeah yeah i think she is yeah, yeah. so and, she, and she's in gumshoe detective get up as well yeah so there's a big point here where Rory is in 1938. Yeah. And it's impossible to land the TARDIS there because there's too many time distortions. Yeah. But River's able to be there because she has one of those wrist-mounted time Vortex manipulator. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. Um, do I need, is it worth me pointing out the fact that the Doctor has successfully landed in New York... Many times, or at least on one occasion in the modern series. Yeah, but was it before. always 1938? Not specifically 1938. Was it, say, is that specific year that was the issue? Yeah, I thought it, it was... was the time. Uh, okay, all right, I'll let that one slide. Hmm. So, Have you noticed, I'm so, if I just don't like an episode overall, I get so much more nitpicky. Yeah. I'm so forgiving if I if I like a story overall. And if... On a broad level, I don't like it. I just all I want to do is moan about the details. I'm such a hypocrite. Anyway, so I've made a special note at this point because I thought this episode could be like a reverse blink, where right. the Doctor and Amy are in the present, dealing with Rory, who becomes like the surrogate Sally Sparrow in the past. Stuck in the past, but. I think I was giving it too much credit. Because yeah, that would, that's a better pitch for this story. Yeah, because <laughs> without giving the game away, even though they can't land in 1938, they almost immediately land in 1938. Yeah. There's a bit, yeah. I, do we, I don't know whether we need to break this down in enormous detail, but it's basically some cobblers about, some just nonsense about a, a, a Chinese pot. Right, so... Basically... <laughs> Like, my notes are absolutely farcical at this point. Yeah. So I mean, it's, River I, I, is working with, and I've put with or near Garner. They just sort of bump into each other. No, this is Grail, isn't it? This is the boss, mob boss guy, Grail. Well, they both, they get into the back of a car. Right. With Garner, because he accosts them when they first meet. I thought Garner's already gone, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. I thought he's just in the cold open. Because no, he meets he, his own... He's in it, like, for a little bit. I Am know. I getting the two confused? Because Garner's the, the detective and yeah. Grail's the mob boss, isn't yeah. he? Um, I don't know. I might... Uh, maybe, I'm, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, it, I don't it know. It doesn't matter, because they're absolutely inconsequential. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, the Doctor immediately works out that it's the angels that have... Yeah taken Rory and Amy just says well why don't we go forward in the book and find out what happens and the doctor yeah. says 
we can't do that because that makes it fixed what's going to happen to Rory mm -hmm. and we need to sort of keep all eventualities open at this point. But I I hate this. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know I don't necessarily want to go into matters of detail, but I this is that to me is another example of you know Moffat setting up the chessboard the way he wants it. Mm -hmm. It it's just like I want to make the I I want a rule whereby there's no way out for these characters. Yeah. Because and, and to be fair, it's hard if you've got if you've got a a you know borderline god with a machine that travels in time and space as your central character. It makes it very hard to set up permanent consequences yeah. for anyone. Well, I, I think it's funny that the Doctor, like you say, is godlike. And for someone so intelligent, sometimes he's just really thick. So mm. when they try and get to 1938, the TARDIS is bounced back. And he says, oh, well, it's landed somewhere that must be linked to Rory in some way. And they're just in a graveyard. Like, yeah. do, does he not think at that point? <laughs> you know, the no, signs aren't looking I guess good. he's too... Yeah, uh, it's that whole not seeing the wood for the trees thing, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, the foreshadowing is pretty on the nose yeah. at that point. Yeah. In fact, does it not show? I think it shows Rory's grave, doesn't it? Oh, I, at that I, moment. I'm not certain if it does at that point. I didn't see yeah. it. Maybe it... I can't remember. But, so, yeah. River and Rory are taken to Grail, who's the man Garner was working for. Yeah. Whether Garner's still there or not doesn't matter at this point, because yeah. he, he's out. I'm um, pretty sure he doesn't make it past the cold open. I think he sees his, his future self die, and then, and then right. he gets zapped by the angel, and that's him done. Right. But, yeah. Uh, it might just be some sort of hired goon I'm thinking of. Yeah. So, yeah. They go to Grail's sort of house... And Rory's able to make out readings on a Chinese lantern. Not a lantern, a vase, isn't it? Yeah. And it's sort of a hangover of the TARDIS communication translation yeah. matrix. Yeah. So the Doctor and Amy go back in time to China to make that vase in order to give Rory instructions. Is that correct? Well, kind of. They Basically, they need to... They're trying to lock on aren't they? And so, because there's been this whole dumb uh, subplot about when the Doctor was reading the book, he was reading the description of Melody Malone and says Yowza out loud mm -hmm. to Amy, and then so, like, Yowza becomes this recurring gag through the first half of the episode. So they just get, they get the pot to say Yowza. That's right. That's right. And then that helps them track down. It's dumb. I hate it. Yeah, because River <laughs> then texts the Doctor. Yeah. So they can lock on. Yeah. And we find out if... Well, we find out at this point that Grail has an angel. Yes. He keeps it behind a curtain. Um, yeah. Which defeats the point, because then no one's looking at it. Yes. <laughs> you know, that angel uh... could be doing whatever it wants behind that. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, we find out later that it's it's, it's in a weakened state. But uh, even so, yeah, because dumb. Does he? You know, he says, "I want to know if it feels pain." 
So has he been like hitting it and shooting it and stuff? Maybe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of weathered and, and scratched, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't try to make me feel sorry for Weeping Angels, Moffat. That's not going to work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> River says, you know, the fact that it's got its mouth open shows that it's screaming and it's summoning others. Yeah. So... But yeah, if it's if all that's stopping it from moving is it's behind the curtain, and it's got it's like its its hands are loosely chained together, yeah, aren't they? But that's it. It could still, when no one is looking, just open the curtains. Could could it send those chains back in time, or is it just people? <laughs> I think it's just people. Because when, it, seen when it sends send Rory back, back in time, he's not naked. It's not like Terminator no. rules where you. But he's send but he's. Back. But he's. It might be similar to when the TARDIS is materialising around people. It will keep whatever objects they're interacting yeah. with. So, yeah. but yeah. So, uh, the story sort of jumps around a little bit, but I'm going to stick with River for a second. Sure. Uh, because she is grabbed by Grail's angel. Yeah. And at that point, the TARDIS appears. Now, I've written in my notes. The TARDIS appears. She looks around to see where the TARDIS is coming from. Yeah. Then she looks over her shoulder to talk to the Doctor. So she is not looking at this angel, but it doesn't no. move. I guess Grail is looking at it at that point. I don't bloody know. But there is well, definitely Gra- a Grail, bit later. Doesn't Grail get knocked out when the TARDIS appears? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and there, and very shortly after, when when the Doctor turns up, and there's the, you know the usual tedious three minutes of flirting between River and the Doctor that we apparently have to have every time they meet now. Mm-hmm. Um, they are just looking at each other the whole time. Yeah. No one is looking at that fucking angel. <laughs> it's so annoying. So, if we just jump back slightly to Rory, he he gets placed in the basement of the house. Yeah. And is given a box of matches because the basement is riddled with baby angels. Yeah, which are cherubs. Which, I guess, makes sense, but... uh, How do you feel about the the baby angels? Well, uh, it's one of those things, like, if there's baby angels... The angels need to reproduce, don't they? Yeah. But we know that they cover their hands so they can't see each other, so they can't send each other back through time. Am I right? Yeah. So, yeah. They so can't. How, yeah. What? How do they mate? What is their courtship ritual? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because they can't look at each other. That's the whole thing. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I do. Plus, like, if that's the case, how did they make the Statue of Liberty? Yeah, because that thing is massive. Like, how does that happen? You know, I would understand if it was explained that that was, like, the queen, you know, like we have with bees, where there's a larger one that produces the smaller ones. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Nope. So, yeah, he's just thrown in the basement. So, in order to find him... Uh, the Doctor, again, stops Amy reading ahead in the book, but yeah. they work out that they can look at the chapter headings. Yes, because Re- Amy has read a bit where it says that the, the a conversation between the Doctor and River 
about you know having to break something they don't know what at that point and yeah. uh and the doctor gets furious with amy and says oh it that has to happen now because you've read it um and yeah so they 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 kind of trying to find a workaround to to get clues from the book without actually reading ahead yeah so so we might as well acknowledge that at this point because what he wants River to break is her wrist. It's the only way yeah. he can She's either gonna... break the wrist of the statue or River's wrist to free them. Yes, yeah. So he tells River she needs to break her wrist. However, I've put she breaks free without breaking her wrist. And then immediately on the next line, I just put, oh, it turns out she did break her wrist. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the thing is, the doctor's getting getting grumpy. Yeah. Because um, he's already, because he's looked ahead, he's read the chapter headings, That's and he's right. seen the last chapter is something like Amelia's last farewell, or That's right. something like that. And yeah, he has a little hissy fit and tells River he refuses to break her wrist and says that she needs to change the future. Yeah, and so she tries to pretend cause she doesn't want to like hurt the Doctor's feelings. Yes, she's or trying to something. give him hope yeah. that ultimately things will be different. Yes, yeah. Okay, so when they go down to the basement, it turns out the angels have moved Rory through space rather than time. Yeah, which apparently they can do now. They never used to be able to do, but because it's convenient to the plot, that's what they're doing. Now, I, I'm not certain. There might have been a bit I missed here. But when they yeah. move Rory, and he starts moving through New York and yeah. he enters a building. What yes. Is, what is drawing him to that building? He just seems to set off. He just goes in, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess he's just looking for Amy and the Doctor. Yeah, but he he knew what building he was in. Yeah, yeah. he should have just retraced his steps and gone back to Grail's house, shouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, I know he, he was could. blasted through space, so he yeah. wouldn't know where he is. Yeah, but he could... But he knew where he wasn't. So. Yeah, he could try and figure it out. But instead, no, he just wanders into this uh, apartment building. Yeah. So, the Doctor then does some Jesus shit to heal River's hand. Yeah. So he uses some of his regeneration energy. Yeah. Um, and we have seen him do this before, yeah. haven't we? And, you know, he says, and he said in the past, you know, I'll, I'll pay for this further down the line, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, again, River tells Amy that the Doctor doesn't like endings, so massive foreshadowing yeah. going on. It's at this point that Grail is surrounded by angels... Yeah. Thus completing his overarching storyline. Yeah. And then, like I say, I've just put, why is Rory wandering off? Um, Who knows? You'd so, think he'd have learned by now. By the time they manage to lock on to him and find him, Amy finds Rory, and the weeping angel in front of them is smiling. Yeah. And this is where we sort of get the main turn in the story. Yeah. So... The door next to them says Mr. R. Williams. And when they enter, they find old man Rory. Yes, and it's an exact echo of what we've already seen with uh, Garner in the cold open. That's right, yeah. So, the Doctor, unfortunately, has the job of telling Rory he's just died. Yeah. 
And the Doctor works out the angels are creating a time loop to trap Rory over and over. Hmm. So, they're doing that so they can feed off the time energy created. Yes, yeah, so, and he basically refers to this apartment building that they've infested. It's basically like a battery farm for them. Yeah. That's his analogy. Yeah, because Rory is always going to come back through time to this point because his death becomes a fixed point. So it's going to happen over and over and over again. Yeah. Because Rory dies, then, I don't know, 30, 40 years later, he's born, he goes back and dies. So there's this loop going on. Yeah. So Rory says, well, why don't we make a paradox to break this? I think Mm -hmm. he says, we'll poison the well, we'll kill off the supply. And after they run about for a bit, I think we see the Statue of Liberty again here. We do. Rory comes to the conclusion, the only way to break this is to throw himself off the roof. Yeah. And this is the point in the episode where I just kind of... I try very hard to let go of all of the bullshit that we've had to get through up until this point because this is really... This is what Moffat just wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. And I think he was, wasn't was terribly concerned about how we got there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is this is the kind of... This is the emotional core of the story and this is the ending he wanted to give these characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, there's a nice scene with Amy and Rory where Rory basically tells Amy she has to push him off. You see, you say that's nice... I think that's a really awful thing to do to someone. You know, but... Well, yeah. I mean, she's never going to get over it. No, and it's like, why put that on her? If it's a decision you've made... And this kind of... Because Rory, up until this point, has been this quite a noble, self-sacrificing character. We've seen time and again, he will do the right thing to save Amy. Mm. And that's one of the defining features of him. But now at this moment when he needs to sacrifice himself, you know, one final time, yes, of course he's going to be scared. And I understand that, not being, feeling like, you know, being like, I know this is what I need to do, but it's hard for me to do it. But then to instruct Amy to do, basically do it for him. Well, I don't know. That seems... I think it's more that, you know, he knows once that's happened, they'll be together again. Yeah. I think he just wants her almost trust. I mean, I know she does. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'm being too harsh on this. I don't don't know. Just it doesn't sit well with me in that moment when I whenever I see it. I just feel like that's a bit of a dick move. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Ultimately, Amy says, you know, together or not at all. So she joins him and then. I, I really don't want to trivialise this, but I couldn't help thinking it. Yes. Yeah. They embrace and they jump off the building together. Yeah. And yeah. we get like a slow motion shot of them falling as yeah. they hug. Now, Murray part, Gold's score is laying it on so thick at this but, point. There's like vocals going, ooh. Part of me thinks, because they haven't really leapt, they've just sort of stepped off. Yeah. Like... They might not even die. They might just shatter their legs. I was having the exact same thought when I was watching this one. You know, it's bad enough well, like, you're going to be in the... the same bedroom for 50 years, but or... now you've got to do it with two shattered femurs. <laughs> or 
one of them could very easily have died and uh, like broken the fall of the other one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there are so many ways in which that could have gone wrong. Really, they should have been standing a good few feet apart yeah. and making sure they were landing like on their backs. Or fronts. But anyway, it's a kid's show. There's only so far you can go with these things. So yeah, they wake up. And it's, it is a kind of a kind of a beautiful moment. It's, it's you know, touches of Romeo and Juliet. And, yeah. You know, it's, you know, tragic doomed lovers. I get, I get that. But uh, anyway, yes. So they wake up again, back in the graveyard. Hooray, it works. the paradox worked. Yes. Except, Off for more adventures. Except Rory sees a grave with his name on it. Yeah. And then, I, I thought this was like the stupidest part of the whole episode. Right. That, you know, they've thwarted the plans, except just one angel survives. Yeah. You know, sod's law, isn't it? It is. It is. So the surviving angel blasts him back in time. Yeah. And then, again, this is another one of the plans that may or may not pay dividends. Mm-hmm. So, Amy makes the angel send her back. She wants yes. to be with Rory. No, yeah. no guarantee they're going back to the same time. No. Um, though, what we do know is the way angels should work, right, is that they displace you to, like almost pinpoint accurately to however far back you had left to live anyway. Okay. So you are living up until your eventual death. Ah, right. I didn't know that. But if you think about that, if you th- every time of the time we've seen angels do that to people, that's the, that's the point at which, which is why it's, you know, basically the next day Sally Sparrow meets the uh, the guy and he's he knows ah, he's going to die that day. Right. You know, so that being the case... Obviously, Rory and Amy aren't guaranteed to have exactly the same lifespan. Mm-hmm. They ought to be... They're in the same sort of age group. It's going to be similar. So, worst case scenario, one of them is going to have a rough couple of years without the other. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I, think, I think there's a bit of glossing over it, and we are meant to come away with the impression that they just... They do manage to end up in the same time together. Um, perfectly, but yeah, because her I name don't... appears on the grave, so that's how we yes. know they, they know that we, we they found after. each other again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the river and the doctor go back onto the TARDIS. Yeah, and he is gutted. Yeah, so he tells River to join him, but she says no. She says, you know, I'll travel anywhere and everywhere with you, just not all the time. Yeah. Which is um, which is basically a a good write around for the fact that the BBC can't afford to make me a regular. Yeah, um, yeah. So before she leaves, River and the Doctor formulate their plan to make Amy write the afterword in the book. Yeah. Uh, so the Doctor says, you know, well, I tore that page out, so he goes yeah. all the way back. To sort of the beginning of the episode to get that page he tore out yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. And it tells him not to travel alone. Yeah. But also to maintain the hope within young Amelia Pond. Yeah. It's very, it's it's a sweet this moment works for me. 
I will say. I think it's really nice. It's a, it's a sweet little bookend well, for what, for an Amy story. What I really like is with Tenant, there was a huge bit about don't travel alone. Yeah. And that was because he needed an anchor. Yeah. Otherwise he goes totally mental otherwise. Yeah. Whereas I think like the childish nature of Matt Smith, it's like don't travel alone because, you know, he's learnt that family is really important and he just mm-hmm. needs friends around him. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I quite like that. It is. It's it's sweet. It's it feels very consistent and um yeah, it just it, it wraps things up nicely. And and I think Matt Smith does a fantastic job, like just portraying the emotion of reading that. Because it's, it's hard to, you know, just be silently reading and conveying a strong emotion mm-hmm. in that moment. And uh, some interesting behind the scenes details about how that scene was shot. Because obviously it was shot on location in Central Park. Um, the BBC were not anticipating this, but what ended up happening was word got out that Matt Smith and and crew were in town and quite a lot of American Doctor Who fans started flocking oh really to the area to have a little nosy um meanwhile Karen Gillan though she's not in shot on this on this the the set uh, on this in the scene she wanted to be the one actually reading that text to Matt Smith so that he could be reacting in real time yeah. Kind of hearing Amy's voice. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but but that they weren't expected to have an audience for that. So Amy, had, um, Karen Gillan had to had to read it really quietly, so okay. nobody could actually hear the text. <laughs> and and uh, Matt Smith, like said in he basically had to kind of just treat it like he was in a play. Yeah. You know, because he had a whole audience around him to shoot that scene. So you know, kudos to him. That that sounds like a tough. Day at the office. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and that's, that pretty much wraps it up, doesn't it? Yeah. But... So, I, I think okay. it's maybe not the ending I would have predicted, but I'm glad Amy and Rory end together. Yes, I, they I do mean, get a definitive end. I think we've talked about it sort of all the way through Amy's run, that... The series where Amy's the companion didn't quite click with me. But I think yeah. Amy and Rory together are quite possibly my favourite companion set. I would agree with that. Certainly of everything that we've seen together so far, I would 100% agree with that. Um, I, I I much prefer... A, I, I think Rory, you need Rory to make sense of Amy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um... And though this is the end of the episode, there is a little, there is a part of the story that is kind of left unresolved in this episode. There is one particular character that I think deserves an ending and doesn't really get it here. And the production team actually felt the same way. Stephen Moffat, you know, was saying to the other writers, look, I, I know we need this, but I can't make it fit into this particular episode. So what he actually did was um, asked Chris Chibnall to write an additional scene, which was going to go on the DVD. Um, Unfortunately, um, due to actors availability, 
they weren't actually able to shoot it but in time for when the dvd was supposed to come out but rather than chucking it all together what they did was they took the storyboard and kind of put a bit of narration on it and, and kind of did the best job they could with it basically and I'm going to share this with you because I want you to, to watch it. I'm going to watch it with you. We might do a sort of live reaction thing to it. Um, if, if this features Brian, I'll probably cry. Well, let's wait and see. Okay, I'm ready when you are. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. See, this is the bit I was talking about earlier. Yeah. With, you know, bring them home safe. Exactly. So we get this lovely little flashback to... Yep. Uh... Oh, great. So it's got the music PS. here as well. Yeah. Uh, and he is watering the plants, as promised. Yeah. I've already got goosebumps, by the way. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, I know what's coming, but... So, someone we've never met before, a chap called Anthony. Yeah, but we've seen this before in Blink, haven't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, a baby. Mm-hmm. 
Haman. Ah, that answers that question, because I was going to ask how they had a baby. Yeah. Yeah, only a Doctor Who could someone end up with a grandson older than them. There you go. Aww. Isn't that just beautiful? Well, this episode that we're recording now yeah. will, will drop the day before Father's Day. So It will. It kind of feels fitting, doesn't it? I implore everyone listening to seek out that little video, P.S. And just oh, tell, the, yeah, link just, in the show notes. Yeah, just tell your dad you love them. Yeah, do it. It's worth doing. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm... <laughs> Not quite crying, but I've got a lump in my throat now, I will admit. Yeah. It, it, every time. every time. And that, it's such a shame they never got to shoot it. Yeah, I think that would have, that would have turned an average episode into something quite special, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm so grateful that we've at least got that. And I think, you know, again, credit to Arthur Darville, I think his reading of it is so... So spot on. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so anytime I am watching that episode, I have to come and watch this afterwards because otherwise I just... I, it kind of takes away a lot of that bitterness and all of the the, yeah. the, the, the issues I have with aspects of, of Angels Take Manhattan. It, it all just kind of washes away because at least this gives me some kind of closure and I, I really cling on to that ending for Amy and Rory knowing that they adopted, knowing that they really did have a fulfilling life in the end. And even though they never get to see their own families again, mm-hmm. they, um, yeah, they still, they still had each other. Uh, so, I, uh, yeah. I wonder if River kept in touch with them. That's a good question. I imagine so. Yeah. I mean, certainly she goes. She goes back to arrange the publication of the book, doesn't she? Yeah. That she has to still has to write. Are, are they trapped in that one room forever? No, they're just no, trapped in New York. They just they are just sent back in New York, and then they just live out their lives. Oh right, it's a happy ending. Ah, so even the doctor could go visit them. He just no. can't bring them back. He can't. He can't. He can't. Because of the 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 tiny whammy, the the distortions, the reason that he couldn't oh, land before, yeah. it's like so, yeah. But he could he land in nineteen thirty nine and just say, you know, how's last year been? <laughs> that people have speculated that, or people have also said, why did he just land the the TARDIS further out and get a train? Yeah, <laughs> that's an option. Yeah. So, in the show, we are led to believe that he's got no way of accessing them again. But if you think. You think about it for a little bit. It's there are there are workarounds for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, but I, 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 at least we have this. We, it, it, it's, it's so much more closure than we get in the actual episode. I think that it's such. Angels Take Manhattan is such a downer of an episode. Mm. But uh, this sort of run has been, if you know what I mean. The yes, opening uh, of in a lot of ways, series yeah. seven. Yeah. It's the darkest we've seen this Doctor mm. throughout. And, uh, yeah, um, who knows if that trend will continue. Before we get there, mm-hmm. um, we've generally been doing uh, a classic story at the end of every series. Yeah. Uh, but part of the reason I wanted to do that was in anticipation of the 50th anniversary which isn't like straight away, but it's coming up fairly soon for us in terms of our, our viewing order. Um, but I, w- I wanted you to have basically experienced every doctor, uh, uh, pri- you know, at time of, uh, you know, leading up to the 50th. So um, we've done one to six already. We've still got seven and eight to do to fit yeah. in somehow before we get to the 50th anniversary. So, this to me feels like a very natural breaking point okay. in which to pop back into the world of classic and watch another, uh, watch a classic story before, uh, you, know, you know, tick the seventh doctor off our list before jumping back into the remainder of series seven. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be doing. And, uh, the story we are going to be watching is remembrance of the Daleks. Okay. Uh, I will hold my hand up and say, as as of yet, I've never actually watched a full story with the Seventh Doctor. So this is going to be as new for me as it is for you. Um, because I've just... Various reasons. I've just never quite got around to it. There are a couple of reasons why I've picked this one. Um, one is we've never actually watched a classic Dalek story yet. Which no, seems like an haven't. oversight. No, I just had to um, think there, but... Yeah, so I wa- I'm curious to see it for that reason. I'm curious to see it because it's written by Ben Aronovich, uh, okay. who is the writer who in more recent times has, has... His main claim to fame has been writing the Rivers of London series of novels, which is sort of like an urban fantasy series based around some British uh, cops who also use magic. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, that's a rubbish description, but they, they are fantastic novels and I'm a huge fan. So I, I'm really interested to see what he did back in the day writing for Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and the other reason is that it is the, in in polls, it is most regularly ranked as the best Seventh Doctor story. It ranks higher than any other Seventh Doctor story okay. in most polls. So it seems like a safe bet. So those are the reasons why I picked it. Hopefully it'll work well in isolation. We'll have a good time watching it. Right. And that's what we're going to be discussing next week. Awesome. Until then, thank you ever so much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com, and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.